Growing up, we thought that food was only something to be enjoyed. And really, there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the thing. So much of life happens in the kitchen. It's a place to gather, to laugh, to burn your meatloaf while the kids do their homework at the kitchen island. So if life is happening in the kitchen, that's where we want to be. It doesn't have to be so hard. We can be great dads and great chefs. This show is about us trying to figure it all out. I'm Chris. And I'm Phil. Welcome to Dad's Kitchen. Start us off, homie. I don't know if there's any other way to start other than, hey, Phil. Also, I do this thing where I breathe for a really long time after I say stuff. It's really hard to edit out. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know if you noticed that. I did, hey, Phil. I honestly have not <laughs> noticed. I was talking to Ashley about like some of the things that I do, and she was like, yeah, I've not noticed any of those. So, Oh, I got a nice compliment from a listener. Said that he likes our show because he can't hear our mouths. Okay, thanks, right, I think? You know, like some podcasters, like, I don't know. <laughs> he said we can't hear we can't hear any of that. So finally, a show where you can't hear their mouths. So I thought that was kind of a cute Maybe we compliment. should put that on the new show open that we've been talking about. That's the best idea you've ever had. We won't make you listen to mouth noise. Snap claps, though. Big fan of those. Jeez. Well, I'm excited for today, Phil. I, I really am. Yeah. Are you? No, I think, I think so. I know so. Definitely a little bit of a fangirl moment, I think. Yeah, when I reached out to this particular guest, it was just like completely blown away that he actually said, yes, he'll join us on the show. I screenshotted that text conversation and sent it to you, and I think the text I got back was, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that was like the same reaction when uh, William Fitzsimmons responded to... One of your Instagram posts as well. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, Instagram is so weird. It's the way you can, you know, just have a real conversation with someone on the well, other we're end. we're all just people, Phil. Levels the playing field? We're I guess so. We're all just people. I guess so. Phil, I think you're somebody's Dan Benjamin. I, how dare you say that? <laughs> I am no Dan Benjamin. There is only one Dan Benjamin. God bless him. He's our guest today. Yes, and that and that is why I guess I'm having a little bit of a fangirl moment because Dan Benjamin is he's a dream. He's an absolute one of dream. the most gentlemanly gentlemen that I have ever had the privilege of talking to. But also, I feel like I've been listening to uh, one or two of his podcasts for like almost a decade now. Yeah, he's got something like 19 or 20 shows that just have taken off and he's either hosted or co-hosted. I've never met anyone quite like him. He does this amazing work. I mean, shoot, ever heard of Ira Glass, Josh and Chuck? I'm sure they, they call Dan when they need uh, some podcast advice. Yeah, they call Dan when they need some podcast help. Absolutely. Yeah, so Dan started a podcast network called 5x5. Five Five, and I want to say that they put out something like 25 different episodes a week. And the 5x5 Five Five network hosts a lot of his own personal shows. And the one that we've mentioned that's definitely a little bit of a personal favorite of ours is Back to Work, the, the show that Dan hosts with Merlin Mann. Dan is, he's a, dad. he's a dad. He knows some food stuff and just an all around incredible human being. So I think all of those things are why I'm super excited to have the chance to talk with him for a little bit. Let's dive in. Well, Dan, thank you so much for, for popping on. I've been a fan of yours for a good bit, but I got to, I got to, pass the the torch over to Chris because he has probably been a fan of yours since birth. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Hopefully, uh, hopefully not. But <laughs> Yeah, I actually do. I think I have uh, Merlin Mann to, to thank for introducing me to you. One of the first podcasts I think I ever listened to was You Look Nice Today. And oh, yeah. then followed him for a while and really have been following you guys on Back to Work and kind of some of the other stuff that you've been doing since then. But I don't know. You are kind of one of the OGs of podcasting. How long have you been doing this now? Uh, I started my first podcast in 2006. And it was back when I was doing a HiveLogic website where I would do like lots of tutorials and other things for people to teach them like how to install, you know, MySQL and Apache on their Mac to make local development easier, that kind of stuff. And and so I did, I was doing like interviews with people, other developers and designers and things like that back in 2006. And, you know, no one knew what a podcast really was and actually getting the podcast to people, like they had to download the file and drag it into iTunes and then 
you know, sync it with their iPod. Like this was not an easy process. And I used to say back then, one day there'll be a way for people to just listen in their cars. And as soon as people can listen in their cars, then podcasting will be a real thing. And of course, Apple added real podcast support to iTunes. And by 2008, the end of 2008, I had, I remember I had read, and this is the the story I've told a million times, but it's probably worth repeating. I had read an article that I think was in the New York Times or some, a big, a big old school publication. It was an interview with Leo Laporte over at Twit. And he had said in the article that they were doing something like a million dollars a year in revenue. And that was shocking to me. I was like, wow, really? Over a million dollars a year in revenue? If Leo Laporte, who is an experienced broadcaster, can talk about technology and do over a million dollars in revenue with his shows, I'm like a a nerd doing technology. (laughs) I probably – and I mean I had had a communications – for a while I was a communications major in college. Yeah. Uh, But I had thought to myself, you know, if he can do a million dollars in revenue, like I should be able to like – pay my mortgage and and make a, a living, a living wage doing this. So I took the plunge. I was a CTO at a startup in the Valley and I, uh, I quit and I said, instead, I'm going to, I'm going to try this podcasting thing. And I was able to take it from, you know, me doing a couple of shows in the end of 2008 to within a couple of years, a seven figure a year uh, business. And it was crazy and a lot of fun and completely stressful. And I made a million billion mistakes. And, you know, it, it was a huge and, and still is a huge learning experience for me. But it's something I've always loved. I've always wanted to do, you know, what I used to think of as talk radio. And as you guys know, podcasting is much better than talk radio. So, yeah, so the, that's it's been a it's been a fun journey and it's still still going. Yeah. We have followed your your whole tech background and and the podcasting background, but you know, really like ostensibly we're we're kind of like this dads in the kitchen type yep. podcast. Yep. So, the the thing that we really really wanted to bring you on for was your bacon expertise. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you have something called baconmethod.com. Yeah, you know, everyone jokes and says that that's that's what I'm really going to be known for. It's nothing nothing I've done in the podcasting industry or computers before that. It's just it's just going to be bacon. And I, it's it's funny. I just I have I'm using my bacon method mug over there. I'm going to bring those things back. People love those. And well, what do you want to know about that? Because that's that's fun. No, it's great. Do you, do you mind stepping us through that that recipe? I have to say that I'm very much a fan of that type of bacon preparation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And this is something that I had learned from from a chef this isn't i've never i've never claimed to have invented this however i do claim to help popularize this this method of making bacon and basically it came from the fact that you know anytime you make bacon how most people make it they take out a pan they put it on on top of the stove they put bacon Mm -hmm. on it and they're there for 15 minutes flipping it around spinning it around grease is flying everywhere so then they say well i can't have grease i don't want to have to spend 10 minutes cleaning this this stovetop up after i make the bacon so they have these stupid screens that fit down on top of them and those don't work very well and that's something else to clean and i said there's got to be a better way than this to make bacon. There has to be. So I researched it and eventually learned that the way that they do it often in commercial kitchens is they take the bacon and they put it in a pan and they put it in the oven and they bake the bacon. And I always thought, baked bacon, that that won't work. It won't be good. It should be fried. It should be the way that I learned to do it and the way that line cooks everywhere do it in little diners and everything. And that's how you should do it. But it turned out that I was wrong, that the best way to do it is actually uh, the way that I'm about to describe. So it's so simple. It's so easy. And there are always questions. And I know what the questions are going to be. So I will answer them as soon as I'm done describing the method because they're always the same two or three questions. Yeah. Basically, you take a pan. It can be an aluminum cooking sheet as long as it's got a little bit of an edge or a lip to it. It can be a glass we, I usually use like a Pyrex, any kind of platform that can contain the bacon and the juice from the bacon will work. You take the bacon, you line the pan with the bacon, and then you put it directly into the oven. The oven does not have to be preheated. In fact, it should not be preheated. And then you set your oven to 400 degrees and you set your timer for 20 minutes and you walk away and that's it. And the bacon cooks perfectly and delicious and crispy every time. Now, here come the questions. The questions are, don't I need to put a rack 
under the bacon, between the bacon and the pan. I don't want the bacon swimming in the grease. That's disgusting. First of all, you don't have to worry about that because when you take the bacon out of the pan, you're going to put it onto a plate and the plate will have a couple paper towels on it and they will absorb all the excess grease. If you're really worried about getting a little excess grease, you shouldn't be eating bacon because <laughs> bacon is just grease. So don't eat the bacon at all if you're worried about that. If you want to try this with the British-style bacon, not the American-style bacon, I've heard it works. I've heard it works fine. If you want to try it with turkey bacon, I've heard it works fine. Now, here come the problems. The problems are... I only like it when the bacon's really crispy. It won't get crispy if it's cooking that way. False, it gets super crispy. And if you want it more crispy, cook it a little bit longer and it'll get even more crispy and it's even better. If you want it less crispy, cook it a little less time and it will be a little less crispy. See how this goes? Now, the other thing is people will say, well, I did exactly what you said, Dan, but I preheated the oven and it turned out really bad. Don't preheat the oven. Trust me. Turn the oven on after you put the bacon in. The final question, the final thing that people always say is, it got undercooked or it got overcooked. Your directions suck. No, your oven is not calibrated correctly. <laughs> Calibrating your oven is really important. What does that mean? That means when you set your oven to be 400 degrees, it may be 400 degrees, it may be 380 degrees, it may be 420 degrees. You don't know unless you take an accurate th oven thermometer and put it in there. So before you do your first batch of bacon, set your oven to 400 degrees, put an accurate thermometer. You can get these things on Amazon for like eight bucks. Put that in your oven, hit start and let it get to 400 degrees and then look at what your thermometer says. If your oven says 400 and your thermometer says... 420, you need to back it down 20 degrees or, or whatever, make that adjustment. That's how you calibrate your oven. But if your oven is true, 400 degrees is perfect. And that's that, the bacon method. It. And it's a domain. It's a domain. You go to bacon, baconmethod.com. And we're going to start selling mugs. We did mugs and magnets. And the magnets sold okay, but the mugs sold really great. And I have one over there, but since this is a podcast, I don't need to show it off. But on the mug is our little bacon method logo, which has the instructions built into it. So not only is it okay. a cool looking yeah. mug, but it is instructions on how to do it. And a friend of mine said to me just the other day, Dan, you need to start making these mugs again because I had some family over for Christmas and and we wanted to make bacon and I forgot the recipe and then I remembered my mug and I used the mug to teach me. So I'll be bringing those back, but that's the story of Bacon Method and my my claim to fame. Yeah, I feel like we can just end the podcast here now. And <laughs> it'd be great. I mean, as, as a dad's podcast, I don't know why we haven't hit bacon yet. It's so important as a dad. That's like yeah, number absolutely. two. absolutely. That's that is foundational, and I, th I think the mug is definitely the thing that I, I would pick up out of that. So, well, I guess one question would be: Do you do you just go straight into the pan or baking sheet with the bacon? Or I have seen people line it with foil. Does that affect the kind of cooking method there? You can totally line it with foil. That's something that a lot of people have asked about: is they don't want it sticking to the pan, or they don't want to even clean the pan. Can they use? foil mm. instead mm -hmm. and the answer is yeah absolutely it makes no difference at all it uh, the bacon won't stick to the foil there's that grease working for you there and you can line it with foil and then you can do it on a I, I know people that'll do it in their toaster oven they'll take one of those little hmm. toaster ovens and yeah. they'll put the aluminum foil on there on there and just do you know five or six pieces of bacon pop it in there uh, absolutely you can use aluminum foil it changes nothing now the rack uh, people who insist who for some reason think that they're somehow cutting down on the grease more by putting a rack and letting the grease drip out of it as opposed to just putting it on a paper towel at the end. I've tried it. It doesn't make a difference. It doesn't change the taste, but it can change the way it cooks. Sometimes it can cook a little faster that way. It's a waste of time. But if you want to do it, you know, it's like when you see someone get up to bat. They've got all the little, they pull their pull their jersey a certain way and they swing the bat a certain way and they choke down on it, choke up on it oh, and yeah. like swing it a couple times. They, and they're wearing, you know, one pink sock that was their daughter's and they're wearing like, you know, their wife's bra under the jersey because they think it's going to make them get a home run. If this helps you to put a rack, put a rack down. By all means, do it. Whatever makes you feel good, but it won't change anything. I think my view is that's just one more thing that you have to clean when you're done. <laughs> that's right. And, and especially if it doesn't really affect the, doesn't. Uh, the actual cooking method. and it maybe. Does even makes it a little bit more precarious. I mean, I, I think yeah. one of the things that I used to do was exactly what you said, try it on the oven and a skillet. And no matter how much time I spend tending it, right. I would always burn it like every single yeah. time. And, yeah. and I, I, I do like my bacon with a little bit of chew yeah. to it. So yeah. it's, imp it's impossible on a skillet, I think. Yeah, it, it's difficult. It's difficult to give you that. But it's, it's so weird to me 
how people will say, well, I followed your instructions in it and it was overdone. So I'm not using your instructions ever again. I'm like, well, just take it out earlier then. Like, it's not do it for 18 minutes. Like, it's I know this is crazy, but, yeah. you know, do what you want to do. I think there's, there's a, a foundational, like, cooking idea there. Yes. So one thing that I've noticed about cooking bacon in a skillet is yeah. that it smells really good. You, know, oh, you yes. walk downstairs and you're like, oh, it, it <laughs> smells like somebody cooked bacon. But I then know. after about like an hour, it's it's more like, oh, it smells like somebody cooked bacon. You know? <laughs> I know. Especially if you burn a little bit, right? So I'm curious, like, does that, do you get that same effect in the oven? You get the, the, the good smells and then ultimately the bad smells? It's less, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, it's a little bit less. You definitely have it, but it's, you know, it's closer to like if someone's put on a pot of coffee and you wake up and you're like, oh, I can smell the coffee. You can smell the bacon, but it doesn't, it's not overwhelming, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, Chris and I had this idea as this podcast starts to gain some traction, we'll do a giveaway yeah. Yeah. where the, the, the lucky winner will, will have, you know, Chris and I will fly out to their location and make them a meal. Oh, so I maybe, love that idea. You so maybe we could actually the meal could just Benjamin be bacon. Yeah. yeah, the meal could yeah. just be bacon, oh, yeah. and then yeah, I'll be there for sure. Now, Phil, I, th- I thought you were going to say that we we could do a giveaway of the bacon mug. Oh uh, yeah, I mean I'll I'll send you guys some as soon as I make them. And see, this is the dilemma with something like this is like in the past, like when I've done T-shirts, and I haven't done bacon method T-shirts, but I've done them for like podcasts and stuff. Usually, what I would do is I would take orders for a week or two. And then I would order just mm-hmm. the, you know, I, w- I would put in an order just for the amount that I had received. So I wouldn't have any leftovers or I would just have a few. But with the mugs, you can't really do that. You kind of have to order them. And ordering less than like 100 or 300 mugs, it- it's not it's not practical. The shipping costs alone will cost more than getting the mugs. So like if the sh- if you know the shipping is going to be whatever, 100 bucks. And why is it 100 bucks? I don't know. It's always 100 bucks. But like it's 100 bucks to ship 100 of them and it's 100 bucks to ship 500 of them, you know. So I think I'm just going to just order a few hundred of them and just sell them as they come. So if I get one order a day, I ship out one box a day. I think that's what I'm going to do. Or what you're really saying is the giveaway, this big winner yeah. will get 500 mugs. 500 <laughs> mugs, a lifetime supply of mugs, so they never have to wash them. That's the, you know, not when I have to wash the mug, you just use it once, pitch it, and then you grab the next one. Like uh, like Calvin Klein never rewears the same underwear twice. That's right, yeah. So Dan, um, you're down in Austin, Texas. Yes. And Austin's, Austin is absolutely my favorite city in Texas. I've, I've always said that if, if I ever lived anywhere down there, it would be Austin. And where are you now? Are you in Colorado now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're a little bit south of Denver. Okay. I love Colorado. I want to live there. No, it's it's gorgeous. It's it's really hard to beat. I never thought I would be here this long. I always thought I would end up somewhere else. But, uh, you know, we're, we're here for now, and, and it's great. But my, my oldest son actually does live in, in Texas. And really, really hard to believe, but he is uh, currently applying at, at UT Austin. Oh, very cool. That's a great school. Great school. Yeah. And he's, you know, looking to get into their CS program there. And I've heard it's really competitive. And so he's, he's kind of got his fingers crossed has, seems like it could be like a really interesting opportune time for him down there. It Mm -hmm. seems like Austin itself is really going under like a little bit of a transformation as a, a bit of a tech Mecca. Definitely. And, you know, one, one of the things that when we were talking about bringing you on that I thought was interesting was how none of your podcasts are necessarily like dad podcasts, uh-huh. as it were. I mean, but the fact um, that I'm I, almost all of my co-hosts are dads, um, I mean, it, it's kind of it's kind of a dad podcast by accident, you know, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, that does come out often. And yeah. I've always really appreciated some of your perspectives that you take. And lately with our new kid we, we just had a little boy four months ago now oh congratulations and kind of one awesome. of the one of the new thanks one of the new big things that seems like is everywhere is this whole Montessori method of kind of child rearing and everything mm-hmm. is like wooden and right like there's this kind of not not necessarily backlash but really a backlash against anything that is electronic you know takes batteries or moves on its own so it's all about like <laughs> right you know, like you're creative exploration as a child. And I feel like I've been having like a little bit of an internal struggle with that. You know, I came from a a very, very tech savvy and tech heavy household growing up and trying to figure out what that balance looks like or should look like is something that's been a little, a little challenging. Right. You mean like, as far as do you let your kid 
use an iPad or watch TV or that that kind of thing? Yeah, I think I think at some level, I'm not sure I like the phrase screen time just because it's hard to define. It's so encompassing like you know my, my wife's parents still live in Pennsylvania and they FaceTime with him all the right. time and so like is that screen time um should that should that count or you know the other day I I was just holding him while I was doing some work on my computer and like there was a screen in front of him and there are a lot of people that say, would say that that's not necessarily a good thing for them but I think like I could find an argument where you know them or him being entertained by moving images and, and people talking to him on FaceTime might be worse I feel like technology is just a given in our society, and it's so much more so than even when I was being raised. And I think what my perspective has like turned into is how do I engage with him in this this tech world mm-hmm. instead of you know pulling him away from all of the screens, all of the entertainment. How do we how do we use that as a way to really create connections with our kids as opposed to you know just constantly saying no? Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to you know step on what you're saying here, but I'm totally you know that's something that I struggled with a lot too because in my mind it's like I don't see technology as wholly good or wholly bad. I believe that. There are aspects of it that are good and aspects of it that are that are bad. You know, I was a kid growing up in the 70s sitting in front of or standing in front of the TV. And they always used to say, don't watch too much TV. It'll rot your brain. Uh, You know, don't watch TV in the dark. It'll make you go blind and all these other things. And for us back then, it was TV because we were the first. I mean, yes. Kids growing up in the 60s had TV, but we were the first generation in the 70s, I think, where TV was the primary way that people were entertained. Even in the 60s, music played even an even bigger role than in the 70s. I think print yeah. media played even a bigger role than it did, and not that it wasn't still being in the 70s, but that the TV in the 70s became the center of... And I know this was the if you look back at the, in the 1950s, you know the 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 picture of people gathered around the little tiny TV to watch a thing and see people landing on the news in the on the moon in the 60s and the news the evening news taking hold. But in the 70s and 80s is when TV just completely shut everything else down to the point where you knew when you were coming into school the next day that all of your friends watched that great TV show that was on the night before, or if you were an adult working that everybody had watched Seinfeld on Thursday night and then Friday morning at the water cooler, they were going to be talking about it and the same later with friends. And, you know, the the concept of TV kind of dominating our lives, people looked at that and said, what about our kids? How is this going to affect our kids? And I feel like it's the same thing today when people say, oh, you know, like they're three and they're already on their iPad. They're already doing this, that, and the other thing. I'll tell you my story about that. We were pretty strict with my first kid. Uh, He's 13 now and really seriously limited how much TV he watched and Mm -hmm. seriously limited what he watched when he was watching it. So, you know, if it was something on PBS, sure. If it was, you know, Yo Gabba Gabba, that was a thing that he liked back in the day. Yeah, we would let him watch that. But we really tried to withhold that. And I used to question that decision. I used to say, why? You know, what would it be so bad? And then we gave him an iPad when he was young. It wasn't his exclusively, but we let him use it. We let him play some games on it. Very strict and very restrictive about it. But at a certain point, guys, you just want to get some peace and quiet. You just want to have a meal where you can talk to your spouse. You just want to read an article or whatever it is or send an email or have a phone call. And you're like, you know what? If I give him this iPad, I'm going to get half an hour or an hour to like think or do something or, or, or look at another person. Yeah, eventually we just would let him enjoy his time with an iPad. And of course, now forget it. It's completely insane. Both my kids watch YouTube all the time and they play video games all the time. And we've lost any semblance of control or even influence over them. It's uh, the way that I, I get them to come to dinner is I text them and they receive it on their iPads and come down for dinner. Yeah. So yeah, I've lost. I kind of feel like I feel like that is maybe a little more how my my uh, first son is. And maybe that's kind of what's inspired a little bit of this type of, of thought between that and, and my wife. 
you know, if she had her way, it would be like, if there was anything on, it would be a PBS documentary or like he'd be listening to classical music and have handmade wooden toys. But with my first son, it was, it was kind of, it was kind of the opposite and it ended up being like a little bit of a free for all. And I was always like trying to figure out like, is this okay? You know, he got really into computers early on. There was part of me that, you know, saw his interest in in programming and the, the actual like workings of a computer. And that made me feel a little bit better about it. So like I tried to foster that to some extent, but he was just always, always on it, always playing video games, making his own games. But, you know, now it kind of has turned into like a potential career path. So it feels yeah. like there's a some type of saving saving grace to that. Exactly. But yeah, it's kind of like where is where is that balance and and maybe feeling like I let him go too far, trying to reel that back with our second one, but not not going too far the other direction. You know, finding that happy middle point where you know he, he's not like an outcast because he he hasn't experienced the the same like culture that other kids have. Kind of as you said, when, when I was growing up, eighties, nineties, you come to school and everybody is talking about you know whatever happened still on on that show, and you know there were the few that like didn't watch it, and there's something a little ostracizing about that. Mm-hmm. So not wanting to put him in that category by by any stretch. But right. try to figure out what that healthy what that healthy balance is and and also how like we can engage with them too still. Yeah, but that's important. I mean that you're what you're saying, what I hear you saying is you don't want to have the technology replace the personal connection, right? Yeah, I think so. Not, not at least not wholly. And and so I guess maybe maybe one question would be: I, I know you like you've talked about different cultural connections with your, at least your your oldest son being able to watch things together and yes. have have that connection. So like, do you do you have any specific things that you kind of try to do to maintain that engagement with them? You know, yeah, because I think like like we were talking about TV a few minutes ago, right? And for me, as a kid, I had friends. We played outside a lot. And it was, you know, if you grew up in the 70s or early 80s, you know, I was still a kid in the 80s. We were just allowed to go and do what we wanted. We'd get on our BMX bikes and we would ride wherever, wherever we wanted, as far as we could go. And I would leave. I'll tell you what, I would leave in the morning. I would come back to eat lunch and I would be gone until, and I was just, we were just me and my friends just riding around, going to each other's houses, playing games, playing games outside, you know, smashing stuff in the woods, like not safe stuff, but that was like, they just didn't worry in those days. It was just, that's just what you did. But I also, when I was, you know, gosh, I think it was 13 when I got my first computer and that really changed things for me because all of a sudden, like I was able to like play video games on a computer that was different and better than you know what I might have had before like an Atari and I started writing code because I I loved the idea of programming I thought it was really cool but for me I still had the TV I still had my record player I still had my friends that I went and did outside and what's happened now is this technology has completely replaced most or all of that, Mm -hmm. that the way that I'm not even just talking about during COVID where technology is the only way we can kind of hang out together really, but that my kids, if they had the option of go outside and play with their with the neighbor kids or play with the neighbor kids in Minecraft on their computer, they pick Minecraft, you know? Yeah. And they're still interacting with other kids. They, they'll even have a video chat going next to their Minecraft where they're talking to a whole bunch of other kids and they're all in Minecraft together building something. But the face-to-face has changed. That dynamic has changed. And I don't know if this answers your question, but I don't... My first response is to say, I don't like it. I don't think it's natural. I want it to be different. But why? Is it inherently wrong or bad because it's different from what we did growing up? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. You know, there used to be a time in a culture where even books were kind of viewed as like mindless entertainment, you know? I think I was reading, I think it was, it was Oscar Wilde. I don't remember if it was his novel or one of his essays or short stories, but he, he kind of details this character who is just known as like this lazy, good for nothing, like rotted brain because he just mm-hmm. reads books all day. That's crazy. So like what 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 is that going to be like, you know, I saw this years great, from now? To your point, I saw this really great photograph that was it was, you know, 
one of the like Reddit types where it has the then and now kind of left and right ones. Yeah. And it was saying, you know, everybody's staring at their phones and they're losing contact with other human beings because they're all looking at their phones. And so there's this picture of people on a subway staring at the, all looking down at their phones. And then there's a picture that was probably from the 1920s. I don't know. It was a very old picture. And it's a ton of men with fedoras on, so maybe it was the 30s or even beyond, on a train or standing outside waiting for a train or something, and they're all staring at the newspaper, and none of them are looking up or talking to each other. I'm like, the point is, whatever the thing is that we have in front of us, if it's personal, you know, yes, we're going to use that. But the difference is, I don't think people were trying to read the newspaper while holding their kid's hand while they're crossing the street. You know, that's something different, but it all comes down to size, right? If you have this little tiny thing, it's so easy to pull that out the instant that you're bored, the instant that you are, you know, slightly not entertained by whatever the thing is in front of you, you just pull the phone out because now you've got you got Facebook, you got Instagram, you got Twitter, you've got LinkedIn, you've got all a podcast, YouTube, you name it. It's all right there to entertain you at all times. Uh, so it's too easy to, you know, and are we teaching our kids that, right? Are we teaching our kids mm-hmm. that, like if this conversation is boring, like YouTube's right over there. <laughs> Just, you know, take, just turn your iPad on and, and check out and watch YouTube. And that's the other thing is it's all YouTube now. You know, when, when I was a kid, we had four channels. Then I was an older kid. We had cable. So we had, you know, a couple dozen channels. Then we had hundreds of channels on cable. And now my kids don't watch TV at all. They do not watch TV. They watch YouTube. Sometimes it's YouTube on the Apple TV, on the television, but mostly it's on their iPads and they're watching exactly what they want when they want to do it. My son's watching some kind of, you know, like video game playthrough or tips on it or whatever. And my daughter's watching videos about, you know, some lady that paints and repairs squishies, you know, those little things you squish and then they slowly inflate or someone else play a video game like that's what they do or Minecraft tutorials like that's what they watch now. And it's They're not watching Dan Benjamin on YouTube. My son does. So I have to watch what I say on there. <laughs> well, what I've noticed is like when I'm bored, I pull out my phone and, you know, instead of instead of checking like Facebook and, and all those worthless things like I used to do, you know what I'm checking right. now, Dan? I'm checking what? Fireside to see how many downloads we got that day. <laughs> I'm checking I know, it right? so many times a day. <laughs> it's always something. But you know, it's so easy to check. It's so easy to check something. It is. And that's different. It used to be even even back in, even if we accept TV as being a part of our household, you know, we, we used to wait for 8 p.m. when HBO would have the, you know, the big weekend movie. And we'd like gather as human beings together in a room to watch the thing that was coming on, whether it was the movie on HBO or whether it was, the, you know, must-see TV on NBC or whatever. We all had like a thing that we would go and do and we would do it together as a family. And now it's one kid's in one room watching one thing, one kid's in the other room watching the other thing. You know, I'm working over here on my laptop. You know, it's all it's all separated out, which is yeah. different. Yeah, it's kind of like wh- whatever you want, whenever you want it, right. as opposed to that that appointment TV. So maybe, maybe Phil, your uh, Friday night movie nights with pizzas is still like a, a good idea to kind of get everybody together. Strong, there, right? Yeah, exactly. Do you find that your kids resist that kind of thing if you suggest something like that? If like, okay, we're all going to turn off our devices and we're all going to do this thing together. Is that something that, that they are accepting of? Well, mine are, are still relatively young, so they're seven and four and two girls. So I think any type of family activity is still probably pretty cherished. Right. And like That's Chris awesome. mentioned, you know, we do our Friday night movie nights and we've talked about that before on this podcast. It's, it's, it's kind of our thing. It's like my one excuse not to cook. You know, we, we, we do the old fashioned thing when we go actually yeah. pick up the pizza. Yeah. I think what I would like to see, and I'm not, I'm not one to, it, it doesn't feel natural for me to try to tell everybody what to do. Like I'm the expert cause I'm not, but right. I think what I would like to see is less of dismissing our kids so that we can have our alone time and they can spend time on technology. I'm not, I don't think I'm too concerned about that. I think what I'm more concerned about is when the parent is wasting all of their time on technology and not engaging the kids. You know, we, we've talked about this before, Dan, but I kind of told the story. Uh, so I live in South Carolina and mm-hmm. college football is a big deal down here, oh, yeah. right? You know, we don't, we don't quite have the hook on like you guys have over there, but it's a big, big deal. And I remember one day uh, I went to the library 
for an event. This was a couple of years ago, and it was a, it was a live read aloud with Daniel Tiger. Some guy yes. shows up in a Daniel Tiger costume and he reads a children's book to <laughs> like 200 screaming, just pure excitement, mm-hmm. uh, 200 kids, you know, in the room. And I remember like looking around the room and this was on a Saturday in the fall, right? So, so mm-hmm. everything rises and falls with college football. And I'm looking around the room and like every dad that's there, which first of all, there weren't very, very many of them. Most yeah. of them were moms. But right. of the dads that were there, they're all checking football scores on their phones. And I just remember <laughs> right? being so just disappointed in that, you know? Like, uh-huh. we can do better than that. Come on. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree, but I'm absolutely guilty of being that that same dad. Sure, yeah. Um, even, even when I'm feeding our little guy, I'm pulling out my phone because apparently I can't sit for 15 minutes and just be with him. Well, it's difficult. And I mean, we're put these things. This is what you guys need to remember. And your audience needs to know if they don't. I'm sure they know it. These things were designed specifically to do this to us. They, they, it's not an accident. The form factor, the, the way that they work, the instant little dopamine hit that you get when you see an extra download on your, on your podcast or somebody <laughs> likes your video or sends you a personal message or retweets something that you said. All of these things create these little dopamine hits and they are absolutely addictive and these devices we all know that they're addictive no one wants to talk about it but they're designed to be they are designed to do exactly what they're doing and we are i i won't say willingly because i feel like there's an aspect to it that like when you go to buy your phone or you went to buy your first phone you weren't saying i know there's a risk i know i'm probably going to get hooked on this thing but i'm going to I'm going to try it anyway. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to smoke crack just the one time. I know it could hook me, but it sounds like fun. No one, no one says that when you're, when you make a decision to get a phone, you're not saying, I know I'll probably get hooked on this, but here's a thousand bucks. I'm just going to try it anyway. No, you say, this is something that'll make it easier for me to connect with people and organize my time. And I won't get lost driving on the highway anymore. And, you know, and I'll be able to listen and be entertained when I'm bored. Like, that's how it starts. And then all of a sudden we realize, oh, right. I haven't looked up from this thing all day and it was my kid's play. And like, oh, I, I guess I shouldn't have been checking the score. But it, there isn't. And the, the answer is you either become one of these people who completely eschews technology and says, no, I, I don't want any of it. Or you have to develop some rules for yourself. And, you know, to their credit, Apple has done what they can to to kind kind of show you your screen time and your usage. But does anyone really change their behavior based on that? Like, hmm. do you look at your screen yeah. time and say, oh, how did I spend, you know, 20 hours this week looking at Instagram or whatever? And I guess I should stop. Like, I don't know anyone who's actually stopped. They maybe just look at it and feel bad about it and then continue to look at it. It's almost like that report that you get. I get mine on Sundays. I don't know when you get, when you get your iPhone yeah. reports on screen time. When I see that I'm down like 14% of screen time that week, that then gives me a dopamine hit like I did something. <laughs> so isn't that like super meta? Like they're just playing right back into that. Totally. Totally. I mean, and it's a tough situation. And, and I don't think anyone's listening to this right now saying... Yeah, I really feel like I'm spending way too much time and I need to cut back. That's the other thing is there's not really a penalty for it either. Mm-hmm. It's not like you, you're spending more money if you're on it longer and you have to cut back because it costs money. What's what's the penalty for it? Oh, I was up 20% on my screen time usage. I guess I was up 20%. Like, so what? Right? That's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, this, like, there's no real consequences necessarily. It's None. just... It's just another bit of information. You're like, hmm. And then you shrug and you move on. Yeah. So I feel like I'm up there with the worst offenders. But I, I don't know if you guys have anything that you've done or tried that has helped you. Because I've I've definitely thought about it. I've, I've consciously like seen it and maybe had that thought that I should cut back. But like nothing actually really changes. Is there anything that you've kind of run into with some type of discipline or anything like that that's helped? Well, there are there are a few rules that I've made for myself and for my kids. And that is, and you know, it's it's like even saying some of these, I feel, it makes me feel sad about the state of humanity right now. But like we have a no devices at the table kind of a rule that I break sometimes and they break sometimes. But if we're all together eating a meal, 
no iPads, no phones, nothing like that. We will put them away and we will just try to enjoy just being together and looking at each other and talking to each other and, and, and not having any devices on at all. We also have rules around the time that they can use the devices. So at a certain time of day, like they have to be done with them. But my kid, uh, older one who's in seventh grade, guess what? They use the iPad as part of their school. That's how they do their homework. That's how mm-hmm. they do all of their assignments and turn everything in. And I think it's great because it means they have to carry around fewer books and they, they don't have to worry about messy handwriting, and getting credit taken off for that, that type of thing. Oh, and when they're in school, during school hours, there's like this application that locks down what apps they can actually use. So like they're not supposed to be able to chat during the school hours and they can't use YouTube during the school hours and things like that. But afterwards, they, it unlocks and they can do whatever they want when they're at home. So how do I really know that they're doing homework? I don't know that they're doing homework. But having those kinds of rules and, and guidelines in place at least returns some semblance of what I used to think of as normal back to the to the situation. Yeah. What about you? What are you guys doing? Trying to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was just saying, I do, I do very much love the kind of no devices at the table mm-hmm. thing. Um, that That's something that we've done. And also, you know, just trying to maintain that family dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's something that I grew up with. And it's just been a really great time to, to kind of reconnect a little bit, especially, mm-hmm. especially with my oldest. One thing I, I have found with him is like he doesn't necessarily have the same challenges that I do with with kind of always needing to be entertained with with a screen you know mm-hmm. he actually like his his preference would be even though you know when, when he's off on his own he's spending so much time you know at a computer playing games whether that's like Rocket League or Minecraft or Factorio um, when he's with us he's always like super present mm-hmm. and his his preference would be to play cards or to like do a crossword instead of like watching a family movie or something like that mm-hmm. so i don't know maybe one of my things is one of my aspirations is to be a little bit more like him in, yeah. in those regards well i think for us the the table like you said dan that and this for sure plays in with what we're trying to do here at dad's kitchen like if there's anything sacred it's the table for right. us, you know, right. um, that's if so much community and life happens over food, that's mm-hmm. where we as dads want to be and almost like gain back what, you know, past generations didn't have. You know, if, if as a dad, we have just as much right to be in the kitchen as anyone else, anyone else. And so right. that's that's kind of our mission that we're trying to trying to get to. And since we're on the topic, Dan, since this is a food podcast mm-hmm. and you're a dad. What types of foods do you like to make with your kids or for your kids? I mean, you know, my son loves all food. He just loves everything. And I'm like completely regularly shocked by that. Like if we want to give him something spicy, he'll try it. You know, if we want to, you know, introduce a new food concept like sushi, like he's all in, you know, and that's been super refreshing. My daughter is the complete opposite. She's likes almost nothing. There's very, very few things that she will eat. So it's kind of a a challenge to find something we can all eat. And a lot of the time it's like, well, she will not like what we're getting. So we've got to make her like default fallback food. But for me, I mean, listen, I'm in Texas and I'm in central Texas. I'm in Austin, Texas. We like barbecue here. And I have a smoker and I love, love to make barbecue. Let let me be clear. I know both you guys are smart and you know what barbecue is. But there are people who are listening right now, I guarantee you, who think that barbecue is hot dogs and burgers. It's not. It is not hot dogs and burgers. So when I say barbecue, I'm talking about low and slow. I'm talking about ribs, talking about brisket, talking about sausages, that kind of stuff that, that gets put into a smoker and smokes for hours, six hours, 16 hours. That's barbecue. Barbecue, what other people I think who, who don't live in a barbecue place, when they hear barbecue... They think of what we would call a cookout or grilling. In yeah, other words, propane. a propane or, or, <laughs> or that there is some kind of charcoal and that there's a grate over it and there's a burger on top of it. And the sides are going to be like beans 
and corn. That's wonderful food. It's great food. I love that food. It's just not barbecue. Barbecue involves smoking meats over many, many, many hours as this the meat slowly yields flavor and the fat reduces and it's just a completely different experience. So for me, my favorite thing to make is even just a rack of ribs is a wonderful thing to make. It'll cook faster than like a brisket or something else like that. And your kids can be involved because there's lots of steps to it. You've got to uh, you peel off the membrane. You've got to coat it. You've got to put, you know, you've got to make the rub yourself and then put it over the entire rib. And then you, do you, you put it on there and then you have to spray it down with apple cider vinegar every 30 minutes and then flip it. And, you know, you've got to have a, a wrap at a certain time and you've got to test it and you've got to pull one out. Like it. They love being involved in that whole process. And it's it's something that does take a long time. So it keeps them kind of engaged and they can be, oh, dad, we got to go check it. Let me spray it this time. You know, I got to represent Texas and say that's one of my favorite things to make and to do. An offset smoker is the way to go. Actually, one of my favorite restaurants here in Charleston came from Austin. Really? I, I bet you've heard of it. It's called Lewis Barbecue. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. And, and out there you call it like Lewis and oh, I can't think of the name of it. Super famous barbecue place there with like the brisket and yeah. But when in doubt, just make bacon. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so Phil, I think I think uh, that gives me an idea for an upcoming episode. Um, we still haven't hit barbecue. You got to do it. You got to talk about it. And I mean, definitely. The the thing is, like, I've eaten barbecue all around the country. Whenever I go somewhere and I find that there's a barbecue place there, I will try it because I love to try the different regional barbecue places. You know, and and, and I've also tried it in places where you would think the barbecue would be absolutely horrible. I'll give you two examples. One of them was in New York City. And the other one was in Portland. And Hmm. in New York City, the barbecue that I had there was real bad. It was really bad. And it was known as like one of the, and I'm not going to say the name of the place, but it was known as one of the best barbecue places in New York. And it was, it was subpar. I'll just going to say that. And I don't, I don't like to throw shade, but it just wasn't, it was what you would expect to get in New York City for barbecue. But, but. In, in Portland, Oregon, there is, or I don't know if it's still there because, you know, COVID changed everything and it's been a few years since I've been there, but there's a place called, now, forgive me, the name is supposed to sound like, hey, howdy, partner, partner, Padna. I didn't realize that until like the third time that I'd eaten there that that's what it was, but they came from Austin, Texas. They were a barbecue place from Austin and they opened, they opened up and they're doing Central Texas barbecue in Portland, Oregon, and it's some of the best barbecue I've ever had. It was great. But yeah, you guys have got to talk about barbecue because there's so much to it and it's so fun. You've got to do it. We'll just bring you back for it. That's right. I'll come back. I'm ready to come back. <laughs> and if 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 you give me, you know, like a week's notice, I can make some ribs and eat them during the show. That sounds amazing. That sounds yeah. that sounds perfect. I can't send them to you guys, but you know. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, we, have, we kind of have a little bit of a lack of barbecue up here. Do you have any? I mean, is there is there a, a place you can go in Colorado Springs? There has uh, to be. Has to be. There, there are a few. You know, it's called Famous oh, Dave's. Yeah, there are a lot of chains. You, you do have a lot of chains. I think one of our favorites actually closed due to COVID this year. Oh, that um, sucks. But yeah, not not anything that's quite like what you might get in in Austin or Kansas City mm-hmm. or even even out in uh, the Carolinas, Phil. So that, that's one thing that we definitely try and hit when we're somewhere else because. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely a favorite of, of ours, both mine and my wife's. So thank you again for, for joining us. It's been a ton of fun. And if people wanted to you know, find your podcast or uh, follow you on social or YouTube, where would they look? Oh, thanks. I'm, I'm Dan Benjamin on pretty much every service. Uh, you can go to danbenjamin.com and I've got links to all the stuff that I do there. That's easiest. YouTube.com slash danbenjamin for my, my videos where I teach people about podcasting. But I also do a, a daily five day a week show uh, every morning there. And Dan Benjamin everywhere else, Twitter, Instagram. And of course, 5 by 5 is where you can go for the podcast I do with my friends. And of course, thanks to uh, people like you for making Fireside work. I'm really glad you guys are on there. But Fireside.fm, if you want to, looking for a podcast host, that's the company I founded there too. Yeah, and I'm not a technical guy. I love Fireside FM because it is thank you so user-friendly. Thank you for saying that. So, I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dan. Absolutely. So glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me, guys. Chris, Phil, why have we not done a bacon episode yet? Maybe because it seemed too obvious. No, actually, I don't know. I, I don't know why I haven't thought of it. But it kind of feels like a little bit necessary now. 
If I said that every dad in the universe likes bacon and that it's a dad thing, I think my lovely wife would kill me because I think girls love bacon just as much as boys. Yeah, sure. I think so. <laughs> it's a mom thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a human being thing. I mean, it, it obviously has become like a, I don't know, not quite a stereotype, but like more of a trend maybe. Has it been, has it been a trend? Did people in the Do 90s like overrated? bacon? No, no, no. No, I don't, I don't. I don't think it's overrated because I mean, have you had bacon? <laughs> Only every day of my life, <laughs> uh, especially especially like good bacon, like thick bacon, like like a girthy slice of meat, little fat slab of pork, yeah, thick. No, I, I think it has become a little bit of it's. It's become one of those uh, little little trendy things, right? Maybe perhaps. It's only trendy now because people finally figured out how to make it. Maybe. Like we're finally cooking bacon the proper way. It's not in a frying pan. Dan is an absolute genius. It's done in the oven. And if you are still on Team Pan, then Get I'm out. sorry to find a new podcast for crying Seriously. out loud. No, I think I think Dan definitely definitely has the one true way there. I I will agree with that. But uh, even even more than that, on a serious level, I think I kind of went in wondering, like, you know, how do we how do we in this digital age like connect with our kids and and all of this? But honestly, like, just make it, bacon. Sure, done. Yep. That's it. Yep. I'm sorry. That's not what you were going to say. <laughs> no, no I, I think there's this element of, I don't know. It, it turns out that like maybe instead of trying to fix my kids, I need to fix myself first because I can definitely be like the worst offender of, you know, like technology stealing my attention. Oh yeah. Me too. Me too. I think, I think anytime we can throw a new new year's resolution into the mix and that might be mine. It's still January. Yeah. But yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. I don't think it's ever too late to start being a better version of yourself, you know? Yeah. And I, I don't want to get too sappy, Phil. I don't, don't want to get too, like, heartfelt here. So I'm going to leave it at right. that. Dan's okay. just changed my life. Well, he's, he's made me a better person. He has me too. Yeah. And you know what? He's just a dream. He really is. Just a good, good guy. <laughs> so, Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show. We've, we're in heaven. Chris is in heaven. I, I would say generous is the, the only way to describe somebody like Dan Benjamin. Yeah. Generous in every way. We've got to have him on for a barbecue episode. Absolutely. I, I think it's a must. So thank you again to Dan and be sure to check him out. He has some really fantastic podcasts out there. Uh, as we've mentioned before, Back to Work is a favorite of ours. And all of the 5x5 five five Network podcasts are just absolutely top-notch, worth worth your time. Dan also has a podcast hosting service called Fireside.fm, which just makes the whole the whole podcasting process is super incredibly easy. So make sure to check Dan out, especially if you're looking for a new podcast to listen to. And if you like what you heard and you like our podcast, then uh, do us a huge favor and subscribe and give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. It really means a lot to have that support. And um, you can also check us out at Dad's Kitchen Co. on pretty much all the social media platforms. Oh, 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 o